freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you, you are a manager. Doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! You'll get there, bro. <laughs> when your girls grow up and get to college and they call you during the show, yeah. like your wife, you're like, uh-oh. Everything okay? Is this an emergency? No. No, Dad. No, just call Ketchup. Oh. <laughs> Great, I'll call you in two hours. Love you, Mace. Uh, oh, are you doing something? I was totally caught up in my own world. By the way, I'm going to guess that Macy, it's, a exp- it's an exponent by 100 of the number of calls to Molly yeah. than Haley. Well, because she told me she doesn't know how to do anything. Well, part of it, but also just she's a Brock's vocal. middle daughter, Macy, is now off to college for the first time. Doesn't know how to, like, do laundry. Doesn't know how to do anything, right? Squick, not like Haley. Right. Yeah. I mean, just number two. Right. All she knows how to do is, is to play hoops. Right. So good luck keeping her eligible. I don't That's not my problem anymore. But, but she also needs to verbalize. Like, she has to talk things out a little bit like you. Yeah. You like to verbalize. Yeah. And so she's going to be calling Molly. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I need help oh, with this. I got to yeah. talk through that. Molly's got a ringer for Haley. And, yeah. and not one yet for Macy. Yeah, that Macy one's going to be like an alarm <laughs> <Yes>. siren. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Here we go. Well, here we go because we've been counting down our most intriguing Seahawks. We are getting darn near the end. And today is a big surprise. Number two. Number two. Quarterback, Geno Smith. That's right. You probably thought he was going to be number one. He's not. He is the number two most intriguing Seahawk. Mind, Mind blown. blown. That's right. Give everybody a second here to reel. You guys can all sort of. I see people staggering around right now in the newsroom Slamming and shock. Breaks. That's right. <laughs> Accidents on 405. What have you done, Mike Salk? Yeah, you guys will have to try to guess who the number one most intriguing Seahawk is. But number two is Geno Smith-Brock. Mm. Last year doesn't seem like a fluke, right? I mean, last year felt as God. You buy what Peter King says? Peter King been around this league for like, I don't know, nine decades. Do you believe what he says when, hey, when you do it for a whole year, so that's Rich Eisen, it's not a fluke. Mm. It's not a fluke. You do it for three weeks. You do it for a week. You do it for even half of a season. 17 games. You don't miss one snap for 17 games. Doesn't feel like a fluke to me. The question is, is there more or is that enough? We asked Pete Carroll if it was enough. He said, yes, he doesn't need to be any better than he was last year. He just needs to do what he did. We asked Gino if he agreed with Pete, and here's what he said. I think, in my opinion, I think Coach Carroll is absolutely right. A lot of me thinks that the season I had last year gets overshadowed for whatever reason. Um, I actually had a really, really good season. And when I talk about being better, I talk about being better in certain areas like the red zone or situations like third down or being better at protecting the football. Um, you know, keeping you know keeping drives alive with my feet. You know, being more mobile. You know, doing some of those things. Uh, as far as the numbers go, I mean, it, it you got to do whatever it takes to win games. You know, so the numbers may not be as good, or they may be even better. And I'm striving to be a lot better than I was last year, even with the numbers. But um, for me, it's situational, and um, I think that's what he's alluding to in that. I really love the way he approaches it. I mean, I, I really, as I've said, enjoyed our chat with him the other day. He's just an impressive young man. Like I, I don't know, I don't mean young in a in a negative way. Just that he's younger than us. <laughs> really, as opposed to us, we're getting to be old men. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty impressive, dude, and he seemed very wise he seemed to be really comfortable in his own skin 
And all of those things, I think, portend very well for his future, especially this year. He also got paid for the first time. They didn't draft a quarterback. They showed a lot of faith in him. But they also gave themselves some outs in that contract so that if it doesn't go mm-hmm. the way everybody it's a hopes deal. it does, it's a prove a deal. they can go in another direction after this season if they want to. So... Yeah, is Gino intriguing? Absolutely. I feel like we've got a pretty good idea who he is, but there's still a few questions left to be answered. Uh, you know, I, it struck me a little while we were sitting there, and I loved his as he was listening to Pete because you played the Pete sound for him, and Pete talked about wow, he nearly got to seventy percent, and Gino was like mouthing, "Yeah, until the last game," like before even Pete said it, like they could almost finish their <laughs> sentence, you know, like. And I'm trying to think how many guys, other than golfers, Patrick Reed will tell you how good he played. Golfers will tell you how good they played. Yeah. How I, oh, I, putted, I just struck the ball great. Oh, I played great. Couldn't putt, you know, but oh, I got to make putts, but I played great. How many times, play that again, and you can cut it off after he says that. Yeah. How many times have we heard an athlete say, last year I had a great season? I think, in my opinion, I think Coach Carroll's absolutely right. A lot of me thinks that the season I had last year gets overshadowed for whatever reason. <laughs> There's that. Keep going. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it gets better than that. Um, I actually had a really, really good season. And when I go. talk about being better, I, I talk actually about being... had a really, really good season. How many, how many times have you ever heard an athlete say that? The word actually is sort of a funny one. It makes me but, think. Like, but it's great. I'm not, and I'm not diminishing at all. It's to your point. He's totally comfortable in his skin. Yeah, I'm just been, like, yeah, I actually had a really good year. Yeah, I've been in this league 10 years. You know, I, well, I, Also, no kidding. I mean, like, he'd never had a good year like last year. I had a really, well, he didn't tell you that. Like, well, his rookie year. He said he was pretty, but he, he was eight, it was like last year. The following year. year, at the end of the year, he had a perfect QB rating. Like, hey, man, you can, you can shape this and spin this whatever way yeah, I mean, you want. I, I think he's a guy that clearly thinks there's a narrative about him out there that's not true yep. and he was sort of the victim of it yep. and he continues to be underrated and I appreciate that he feels that way. I actually had a really, really good season. I, l- I actually love saying hearing that. How I do. about the word actually in general? I, this is one of these words, I'm sorry, just a brief aside. My family, you know how much I love my parents and how much they can at times drive me crazy. One of the things they love to do, like I'll eat something or drink something like, oh, yeah, I'll try that. Okay, here you go. Oh, that's actually not bad. You're like, oh, really? Were you expecting it to be horrible because I was eating it? What what do you mean actually? Oh, that's actually not bad. Oh, okay. Glad it glad it didn't poison you. That is kind of a northeast thing that I think of my northeast Gosh. friends. They kind of use it in that way. Well, it's actually not bad. Okay, <laughs> as if everything you like is terrible. Right? Like they walk in your house, like oh, you you redid your couch. Oh, I actually don't. Yeah, I kind of like that. I don't know why you take it so personally. You told us your dad will like ask ahead of time if someone may be serving salmon and turn down dinner invitations. Right. So it sounds like it's more their food issues than anything. It's true. Oh. Yeah, there is that. Oh, so you actually... My mom will like, try a glass of wine, though. I say, oh, that's actually not bad. Like, I'm glad to hear that it's not going to disappoint you, Salk, you're actually not that short. <laughs> right. Oh, Salk, oh, you're, you're, you're actually taller than people Salk, say. you're actually not that big. Right. Oh, Salk, you're actually athletic. Oh, those Salk, kind you... Make, those kind of make sense, though. Those are just people who find out that what you've been telling them is wrong. 
That's different. This is just like, yeah, mom. You actually, it's a nice glass of wine. Why wouldn't it taste good? Zulk, you actually do look like Boy Howdy. All right, I'm sorry. I, yeah, that's true. I saw him yesterday. We're looking more and more alike. <laughs> anyway, uh, Gino gets to go this year from uh, the hunter to the hunted, yep. right? We'll see how he handles that. And, you know, there's the question of which half of the year is the more, mm-hmm. you know, indicative of who he is. Mm-hmm. He was better in the first half than the second half. Yep. He kind of needs to reverse that this year, and I think that'll be an interesting question. He's not sneaking up on anyone, and so they're prepared for what Gino does, what he does well, what he doesn't do as well. Yep. The one thing I will say is just being a practice, he looks better than he did a year ago. Yes, he does. And uh, the other thing I would have to add is the continuity with Shane Waldron. The comfort level that those two guys now in year three mm-hmm. of this speaking the same language, getting deeper in the playbook, come more comfortable. There's parts of it and chatting with a few of those folks. They've not shown this preseason at all that they do best. Right? Well, why would we possibly show any of this in the preseason? We are not going to do that. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm kind of blown away by that. Yeah, I actually had a really, really good season Yeah, because I love that. I love that confidence. It's not a cockiness. It's not an arrogance. It's not any false pretense. It's yeah, I actually had a really good season. And I know who I am, and I feel good about myself, and I just, I'm just i excited to go play with these guys and get after it, and you're number two as a starter here. All right, there you go. He is number two on the most intriguing Seahawks list, Geno Smith. You'll have to tune in tomorrow at 8 o'clock to hear number one. I know people all around Seattle are uh, desperately trying to sneak into the building or break into our email to see if they can find mm-hmm. out ahead of time and sure. tell their friends that they've got uh, you know spoilers, but uh, you'll have to wait until tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We have a very close look on. Your fingers are actually not that long. (laughs) No, that's different. Those are all different because we've made it more as fingers seem like they're huge, which I mean, they're big. But this is different. Yeah, this is like a. It seem that way. This is just like a normal thing, not something that's supposed to be surprisingly right. It's not supposed to be excessive in one way or another. It's just like, oh, that's actually not a bad car you're driving. Like, oh, I mean, I thanks. think Brock's onto something. Like, the, my family from the East Coast are just not very adventurous either. When we went out there last summer, my brother and I were talking to my uncle about pizzas yeah. that we could order. My brother mentioned jalapenos, and my uncle was like. You put jalapenos on a pizza? Right. I've never heard of that. Like, blue is mine. They all hate spicy food. Huh. But then they check, like, oh, that's actually not that bad. Oh, that's, a, oh, that's actually okay. Oh, your, your taste doesn't actually oh, suck. Oh, we're actually almost on time for Need to Know, which we'll do right next. Bye. <laughs> Need to Know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. A little frustration at the end of uh, the game yesterday for the Mariners. Understandable, just because you're playing a team that was definitely sweepable. I'm not going to get mad after they took 8 out of 10 on the road trip and won 8 straight. Offense, a little problematic early as it seemed like uh, he just seemed effectively wild. You know what, what I mean? What do you mean by five walks and a hit batter? Yeah. Yeah. Go but back. also only one hit. I mean, like, he he was he had good stuff. Absolutely no idea where it was going, nor did they. But they found a way to rally. They're down 3-1 in the ninth. They get a bases loaded hit by pitch. And then Eugenio Suarez doing some damage with a huge two-run single. You feel at that point, like, all right, you're going to get an opportunity here to win this game. Unfortunately, couldn't get it done in the ninth. Andres Munoz gives up a run, and then they give up another one in the tenth. They end up falling what four to three? Excuse me, five to four yeah. yesterday. Just a just a bummer. But Scott, undaunted. Yeah, our guys playing great uh, up and down the lineup. Uh, Josh Rojas gets three hits today. You know, Gino's been clutch all year long. Uh, it's different guys doing different things uh, at key moments in the game, and that's what it takes. You know, uh, we're playing great. 
Um, you know, it was a chance to extend another long winning streak. Uh, we get home, uh, we'll start one when we get back home. It is pretty telling, Salky. Well, a couple things. Number one, even in 97-degree, hot, humid, hardest conditions of the season, they just continue to scrap and battle back. There is just no no quit. And their eighth inning is the best in baseball. Their ninth inning is pretty darn good. The challenge, just if there is any challenge in the second half of the season, are just these extra inning games. Mm. You know, as Justin said, in this unbelievable stretch, the Mariners are 22-4 and four since July 20th. In nine inning games. When the game is nine innings, they're 22 and four. That's not sustainable. That's unbelievable. And even in those losses, a 4 3 loss, a 4 3 loss, a 7 6 loss, a 6 4. I mean, they're right there in those four losses. The challenge is in that same span. Now you're two and four in extras. Yeah. All right. The game gets to extras and you just, you know, and I would love this month and over the next four or five, like just come on now. Just, just infuse yourself and just turn that thought. Just turn was, that. Yesterday dial. was such a weird one, though. That's a the fluke. Way, I mean, it's just fluky. a weird, totally fluky, fluky game, and kind of the way it all went down. I don't know. Just change that shift. Change that paradigm. Win a couple of those, like you did those one-run games, and yeah. you shifted that paradigm. Yeah, we can did, win they these did games. A couple of those they over did. the course of the last week or so. Yep. Hopefully that'll continue. It was an eight and two road trip. The Toronto lost yesterday. Houston lost yesterday. So no real changes in the wild card standings. The homestand starts and tomorrow. Texas was off, right? Texas was off, so you just lose half a game to Texas. Homestand starts tomorrow at home against the Royals. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, I mean, the baseball community somewhat rocked this morning finding out that Shohei Otani is going to need surgery. Looks like Tommy John on a torn UCL again. So five years after his last Tommy John, he's going to have another one. Buster only says going to have a major effect on the kind of money that teams will be spending for him. Well, the contract he's going to get start with the number five, 500 million, maybe even six, six hundred million dollars. Well, that goes away now because teams just have no idea what his future is as a pitcher. Is he going to come back as a reliever? Is he going to be a starter? Is he not going to pitch at all? Uh, And so the speculation I'm hearing this morning from agents is that his forthcoming contract will essentially have to be two-tiered. You pay him as a, a hitter, say $350 million, and then you do a pitching side of the contract based on incentives, appearances, starts, that sort of thing, because nobody knows... If, in fact, he winds up having to need a second Tommy John surgery, what he's going to be able to provide as a pitcher. The Great Lumineer song, Nobody Knows How the Story Goes. This is his topic, Saul, because I'm writing it down, like an old school radio consultant topic. You write his name and all of the tentacles of this, the reach of this, for Otani the player, for the game of baseball, mm. for your own team now, the Mariners. Does this mean now you have a number that is much more palatable? to go after him and in an offseason of free agency. How about him and his agency and what has been before him and presented to him and a deal that has been on the paper? What about the GM? What, what about the GM who could have taken this trade opportunity just a month and a half ago to land? Uh, I mean, there are so... He he sounded mm, so defeated last night. I mean, they also put is. Mike Trout on the IL yesterday, and they're 5-16 and 16 since the beginning of August. I mean, just what a train wreck, and I'm loving every second of that part of it. I hate the injury for Shohei. Hate it for baseball. Hate it in general. But I can't help but Doesn't laugh. Doesn't Seattle become Angels. more of a landing spot? 
If you're Otani, doesn't this place become no. someone that has navigated so. pitching and knows how to develop pitching? And if I still want to pitch down the road? Maybe. On the other hand, like it means he's going to be more of a hitter, at least in the short term. Mm. And the cell of Seattle is yeah. the ballpark helps pitchers more than it helps hitters. That's true, too. Here's the third thing you need to know. Sorry about that one. Uh, we're getting close to the third and final preseason game. It will, of course, be uh, this weekend, Saturday morning in Green Bay. The guy that I'm hoping to see maybe a little bit is Ken Walker, just because he looked so good when we were out there in practice yesterday. Just saw him running around. He's learned how to keep himself in shape. Getting a routine and things. You know, learning how to really take care of my body. You know, I thought I was taking care of my body, but really wasn't. But, like, now I'm talking to Bobby or... You know, the strength staff, and they help me out on, like, what to do. Like, and they help me find a routine and like, how to take care of my body the right way. I used to eat cereal all the time in college, but I had to cut that out. So, yeah, I cut out a lot of things that I used to eat, and I feel much better now. That's why his thighs look so good, Brock. No more cereal. I mean, poster child for thick thighs save lives. It is unbelievable. Where does that come from? Uh, it came from Darius Victor, little running back in the USFL who has even thicker thighs than him because he's, I think, five foot three. And it's, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I, I put a tape measure around. Guarantee we're going to find out this guy's like six feet tall, but okay. No, he's really not. He's he's five six. He's not, and, it's, and he's built like a French bulldog. His legs totally are go out, and it's amazing. But, yeah, Ken Walker uh, could go. And I, you're not going to see him Saturday. I don't need to see him. Nope. Don't need that. All don't right. need to play him. You need to get a lot of other guys' opportunities. What you hear there is a guy saying, listen, I thought I knew, right. and I've been told that this is what it takes, and until I really dive down that level of discipline, I don't really know what it takes, and now I do, and hopefully you can stay healthy. That's yeah, pretty darn cool. By the way, I kind of like to see the Seahawks find themselves a veteran wide receiver before the season begins. Just looking at the depth right now with all the injuries, etc. seems like something they might be in the market for. That is everything you need to know, and we do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. You know, the challenge quickly with that, though, yeah. is you don't want to sign a veteran wide receiver because if he's on the roster week one, you're going to have to guarantee that deal for the remainder of the year. Yeah, You get those guys week two, and then it's a week-to-week deal as it is any other player. I mean, I think they could still use a veteran wide receiver, though. Like, I don't know what... I mean, Dariq Young may not do anything the this right, year. Yes, the right You may get nothing receiver. out of D. Eskridge this year, which would be yep. fine. So, I mean, you may just need a veteran wide receiver. Yep. So, I don't know that I'd necessarily have a problem with that if they if it ends up going that way. All right. Well, Brock dropping a Lumineers reference in in the middle of need to know too. Yeah, Love that's that. that's the advantage of ranked. You know, it gets my <laughs> musical mind going. You got the lyrics wrong, but sure. that's okay. I think you're <laughs> I think you're gonna like it today. Then you should be uh, very excited for oh, what's good. coming up at nine forty five. Up next, Jerry Depoto joins us as he does every single Thursday. They didn't win fifteen games in a row this month, but they did win two eight game streaks. So, uh, which does he prefer? We'll ask him about that and a whole lot more coming up next. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. A nice eight-game win streak, unfortunately, foiled yesterday and kind of a weird, crazy game in front of about 17 people in Chicago. But a great, great road trip nonetheless. With that as the background, let's talk to Jerry Depoto. The Jerry Depoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Jerry, no 15-game win streak, but two eight-game win streaks. Which is better? Uh, boy, I'll, living in the now, I'll take the two eight-game win streaks. <laughs> it's plus two, you know? 
pretty fun. I mean, like what what just got into this team is unbelievable over the course of this month. And obviously a lot of it keyed by Julio. I certainly want to ask you about his great run that he had, especially last weekend. But, you know, what has gotten into this team? Uh, you know, everybody, it's, it's funny how it's all so contagious. And, you know, just having spent the last 10 days on this road trip and, you know, eight and two and truly every single player on the roster contributed positively to, to the outcomes. And, you know, whether it was a big hit or clean innings and just giving us a chance and, and passing the baton, the whole lineup, up and down the lineup, everybody was hitting, everybody was swinging at good pitches, that there was a focus that, that frankly was exciting to watch. And, you know, and our pitching like it has been, you know, generally answers the call, you know, day after day. And, Right now we're playing the best baseball that we've played all year long and, and, and really just great baseball, period. How welcoming was the air conditioning on that flight home, you think, <laughs> yesterday afternoon? <laughs> yeah, I know Scott got on the flight. And I, you know, the, the, this is he got on and he said, I got to tell you, that was one of the five hottest games I've ever been on the field for. And I said, yeah, it was nice and cool inside. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, the guys, the, the guys really had to grind through it. 10 day road trips really, you know, with no days off they get on you and it's a grind. And yesterday, how hot it was out there and, and just the type of game that was played, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it was great to see our guys make what, what I thought was an awesome comeback in the end. And we lost in a weird way, but the, the effort level is so high right now. And the, the, the focus, again, as I said before, is just at an extreme, in an extreme place. And, and it's, it was never more apparent than the last couple of innings of yesterday's game when after such an awesome road trip on such a hot day with such a grinder, and, you know, and, and facing a starting pitcher yesterday who, you know, frankly, was going to be really hard to hit because you just couldn't get settled in the batter's box. And, and, you know, the guys found a way and, and they grind through. And I think everybody comes out of that trip with a, with a great feeling about where we're at. Yeah, understandable too. I mean, what a what a just sort of weird, crazy way for it to end. One thing, and I want to get to Julio here in a sec, but one thing we were trying to kind of guess along with and try to figure out what happened is is the decision to go with Munoz in the ninth yesterday. Not that that in and of itself is odd, but with him having pitched the day before and Brash hadn't gone in a couple of days, I guess the first question is, is Matt Brash okay? Yeah, that's great. You know, he, he came out of the series with Houston, feel a little banged up, and we were trying to give him a few extra days. Uh, our our pitching staff in general has has really carried a lot of the water, and, and Matt, had, especially through that Kansas City series and, and on into Houston, picked up a lot of it. Mooney had only thrown four pitches uh, the night before last, and I think four pitches, three strikes, cleaned it up pretty quickly. And and he's generally been you know, the go-to in that position anyway. So it was it wasn't a very difficult decision, and it was made easier by the fact that we were hoping to give Matt one more day. You know, in addition to today's off day, to give him a chance to really be ready for this weekend. Okay, makes I mean makes sense. And just sort of going back and looking at the game log, I mean, Brash pitched in what three of the four in Kansas City and. You know, how how careful do you have to be with some of those guys at this point? I'm even thinking about your starting pitching as we uh, will ask you here for in a moment about Hancock. Where is your depth at right now? 
You know, it, it's part of the reason why we uh, we quickly pivoted and picked up Luke Weaver uh, when when he was accessible to us. It's we're at a time in the in the baseball calendar where you don't have a lot of access to players that don't play in your own organization. So you know, being in tune with the transaction wire and and what's happening and. You know, in, in the, the non-traditional markets, you know, waiver wires, it's free agents, it's it's players without. That's where your depth's coming from if it's not from your own organization. But having lost Emerson with no Robbie Ray, with no Marco Gonzalez, you know, already having tapped into Bryce Miller and Brian Wu and then, you know, Emerson Hancock. There's, there's only so far you can go before you, you start to wobble a little bit. And, and we, we left the house to go find a guy that we thought could help both in, in providing length in our bullpen and potentially stepping in if we needed a next depth starter. And, you know, we have a couple of guys in AAA who have experience in Tommy Malone and Adam Aller. But, you know, beyond that, it's we've got another month and a half to play, and, and our guys that have carried us are, are hopefully going to continue to carry us. Does that, just quickly here, does that, you know, last week we talked about the possibility of going to a six-man rotation. Where is that now today? You know, our most recent discussions, which were last night, uh, actually, our most recent discussions are, you know, we're at a place on the schedule where the off days are going to start helping us. And you're naturally going, and we said this, I think, last week or the week before on the show, that, you know, we are at a place where the off days are going to start helping us at a certain point, and the guys will get the extra days. And and the, obviously the pitcher that we are most uh, in tune with trying to, to make sure we help across the, the long season is Brian Wu. Uh, just because he's not done anything like it before. So you might see a skip start or, you know, some type of truncated start, but we're going to go with our, our five starters that are currently out there, and we might, you know, get into a skip start situation, but we're not going to disrupt the other guys and let them continue to do the thing that they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it might have been a different story had we had Emerson, but even when we were talking about a six-man, we were only talking about a six-man through the first week of September, which is when the schedule starts to give us a little bit of freedom. And, you know, so it was one, maybe two more starts, and, and you might see, like I said, something like a skip start or a shorter start, but but not a traditional six-man rotation. Well, to quote you right there, uh, not seeing something like it before, uh, that would be also Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> So, Jerry, the canvas is yours. Paint what you have seen over the last month, and in particular, breaking baseball history. I mean, my gosh, it was uh, it was phenomenal to watch, and you know what? And we've we've been waiting uh, for for Julio to to really bust out this year, and I, I say that, and it's it's almost comical that we look at his season, you know, coming into the All Star break. He's an elite defender in center field, an elite base runner, and he was having a slightly above average offensive season with, you know, with a lot of, you know, athletic traits. You know, the stolen bases were piling up, et cetera. And then he just took it to a different level. You know, he took elite, elite, and added another elite to it. So, you know, it's, this is what Julio is capable of. And it's, it's, it's why the expectations are always so high. And, and sometimes, like I've said, you know, we, we need to temper them because he is 22 and you're going to go through growing pains. But that's sure not the way it's looked for the last four or five weeks, and especially on this road trip where for I've had a chance to play with MVPs and Hall of Famers. And we've had, you know, we've, we've had a lot of great players come through. And I, I don't know too many of them that can change games the way he changed games for about a week straight where it was just unbelievable to watch. He was, was hotter than the sun.
There are times you can see physical adjustments with players, right? Whether their hands or their stance in a swing or something of that nature. And there's times, I don't know, I'm not noticing any physical adjustment, but there's been obviously conversation with the hitting coach and, and, and he has. What have your eyes seen? Is it mental? Is it experience? Is it physical? If you were to just try to quantify how he went from elite to that upper, upper elite. Well, you know, I, I think some of it, and, and again, I don't want to attribute too much of this. We have talked about here before, like the, the notion that just getting past the, the, the burden or the, the expectations of, of the all-star game, of being in the home run contest, of being the hometown guy that everybody was looking at and taking a breather, you know, relaxing for a day or two is probably helpful. But from a, from an adjustment standpoint, a physical adjustment standpoint, he has made a pretty notable adjustment. You know, he's, he is not sinking into his legs as much as, as he did for most of the first half of the season. And, and it's probably not easily discernible for people who don't watch it closely every day. And, you know, our hitting coaches do a phenomenal job of staying on top of it. And, you know, and Julio coming out of the all-star break, or might've been actually, you know, immediately after the all-star break, but Jared DeHart working on, on not getting into his legs so much, you know, that sink down bounce up kind of look. And, you know, he got a little bit taller in the box. He got a little bit more athletic in the box. And, you know, I think you're seeing the benefit is his bat is in the zone longer. He's not in and out. He can cover all kinds of pitches, and and as importantly, he's he's swinging at the right pitches. Yeah, so chamber, there has been a physical adjustment at Chambers tomorrow. I mean, that's something Salk really struggles with with the driver, Jerry. Sometimes you know he gets into his legs. I'm like, bro, just don't sink so you. much. What? How dare you? When, when you're a little more upright, it's, don't embarrass me in front of Jerry. <laughs> no, when you're more upright, you just let that driver all right. run all the way through. Hey, we uh, we had an opportunity this week to talk to Josh Rojas for the first time. First of all, oh my gosh, wow. like Brock and I were just completely blown away by him as a as a guy, as a thinker, at long answers, as a as a communicator. Talker. Are you worried about him taking your job at some point? Uh, you know, I'll take my chances, and if I do, it, it'll it'll probably be for the better for the organization. But the you know, there's a reason why we we've really kind of coveted Josh for a number of years, and one of our coaches actually asked me while we were on the road trip, you know, what was it about Rojas that that you know really that we were attracted to? And I said, sometimes with, with a player, it's it's easy, it's it's a tool, it's something that stands out, it's power, it's a feel to hit. You know, with Josh, it's just a feel to play baseball, and. You know, he has, it's a, the, I think, and you've identified it in, in a brief interaction, you know, the makeup is awesome. Just he's, he gets the game. He's awesome in a clubhouse. He's got aptitude on a field and he does a lot of little things on the field from solid defense to he's an excellent base runner with good instincts and, and he's always hit right-handed pitching. And we really did think when we made that deal that, that he was a great bounce back candidate. And I know it looked unusual on the surface and small sample size theater. He's played very well for us, but you know, at the same time, these are things that he has done before as a major league player. He's always been a good player. And, and right now, you know, we're, we're standing, we're, we're reaping the benefits of believing in, in who the person was. So two other questions about him then. One, you know, we spent a lot of time talking earlier this season about veteran leadership and where it would come from, et cetera. Is he one of those guys that, you know, sort of fills that role that you guys have been looking for? You know, he might be. He's, we don't have a ton of players who, who've been around and who've been through, you know, 
who've been through good seasons, who've played through playoff races and things like that, you know, with a lot of service time. And, and Josh isn't, you know, he's here for another couple of years beyond this and, and gives you, you know, that experience and, and that calming presence in a clubhouse. It's hard to tell this soon, you know, whether that will result in, in clubhouse leadership. I know that's the way they felt about him in Arizona. And, you know, he's obviously came up with the Houston organization, was traded to the Diamondbacks. And part of the reason why they were reluctant to include him in the trade was because of the impact he had in their clubhouse. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that that's how it turns out here, but I have no expectation. It's just that, you know, the sauce is so different in every place. And, and right now between JP, I thought, especially while JP was out with, with his concussion, you know, Eugenio Suarez, our whole group, Julio, you know, we had guys step up and, and really make the clubhouse an awesome place to be. And, you know, and, and Josh contributed to that. The other thing I, we noticed in talking to him, he, he paid you guys a compliment and saying that he was very open to coaching when he came in, he was going through some adjustments and said, all right, what do you guys see? Tell me what's going on. I respect the hitting coaches here. You guys know what you're doing. How, you know, we, we spent a long time early this year talking to you and with you about, about hitting coaches and the system and the way guys use their own personal coaches and your coaches. It, it must have been somewhat refreshing, I would think, to have a guy come in and say, hey, what do you want me to do? How can I help? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Josh did that. I know Dom Canzone did the same thing. And, you know, and our, our coaches were, were blown away with how open you know, to, to being coached they were, and, and which is a really good thing. And, and, and I wouldn't say super common among major league players. You know, you're, this is the top 1%. These guys are the best players alive today. And, and as a result, you're going to have to really show them something to, to sway them on what they should or shouldn't do. But, uh, I, these guys clicked immediately with our group and, and the results, like I said, have been, you know, really positive so far. That's all you can ask of your players is for them to be open-minded because we do have, we, we have good programs. We have great staff. And, and I think right now when you've got such good mojo, there's a, you know, there's a vibe around our team. Everybody wants to get involved. And, and right now, like I said, the players, the coaches, it's, a, it's, it's really clicking on all cylinders. Jerry, it was really fun for us yesterday to have Hall of Famer John Smoltz on the show. And John is not short on opinion when it comes to some of the old school belief and philosophies versus some of the new new age numbers and data and everything else. And, and you know, he, he's got strong opinions, a great conversationalist. He also feels very strongly about arm health and pitching health. And I am just curious now that you're in this business on this side of it, and you also pitched in the era that John pitched, were guys getting banged up and arm injuries as significant then? And obviously I'm asking you this with the Otani news of late last night, as they seem to be today. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, it's funny. Um, Smolty and I were on a, a board together and major league board and this dates back to like uh, 2014, 15, 16, you know, the, a handful of years with, you know, other former pitchers and, and a couple of, of, you know, prominent baseball people that, uh, and, and this was our discussion matter every other week for, for a couple of years was, was how do we, you know, create a more, a, a healthier environment for pitcher development. And, and we, we were talking about, frankly, we were talking about little league on up. How can we, you know, with the, the, the impact of, of velocity, with the impact of what we now know about creating spin on the baseball, you know, is there, is there a way we can get out in front of the potential for injury? 
But if we look back on it, you know, it's a, the, the game has changed so much from even from 30 years ago when we were playing or, or the 30 years prior to that. You know, you weren't throw, seeing a whole lot of guys throw at the kind of velocity they throw at now. You weren't seeing pitchers throwing 60, 70% breaking balls. And, you know, but once the genie's out of the bottle, you're not putting that one back in. When, when somebody knows they can throw 98, they're not going to say, oh, I prefer throwing 88. <laughs> they, they like the idea of throwing hard. And, and, you know, so the game has adapted to these physical skills. And, and as such, starting pitchers don't pitch quite as long. Relievers have taken on a more prominent role. I do think that there's, you know, the potential for you know, learning more about injury as we move forward. We don't really know if, if this is, you know, there are as many injuries, if not more now than there, than there were then. But there were injuries then. And, and Smoltz is a great example. You know, he was on the shelf for a period of time. Mm-hmm. It's, it happens when you're, when you're propelling a ball forward at the rates that these guys do. Gosh, and certainly we've seen it this year. I mean, your pitching has been the best in baseball, and yet it's overcome Marco and Robbie and Penn Murphy and now Emerson Hancock and, you know, and I'm certain other guys that have, have worked through some issues. What, um, what is the latest with Emerson and, and the prognosis moving forward? You know, M was going to be, it was going to be a six to eight week thing for him with, uh, with his, it's a, it's a lat in back of his right shoulder, which is, you know, generally bothered him in the past. If, if, you know, going back to his, his draft year in 2020, it's, it's been a, a, a sometimes repetitive thing that jumps up and grabs him. It delayed the start to his 2022 season. You know, obviously it, it, that shortened his 2023 season. You know, so we're looking into what we can do uh, to try to prevent this from moving forward. Anything from diet and nutrition to different, you know, strength and, and training programs. Emerson's open to that. But once we understood that it was going to be, you know, a six to eight week thing, obviously that puts us at season's end. And, you know, with just a, a handful of major league outings under his belt, we thought the wisest thing to do is just shut him down and, and get him moving toward 2024. Any update on uh, on Jared Kelnick this morning? Uh, no, just that he's out of his boot. You know, he is starting to go through his baseball programs. We don't yet have a timeline, simply because you know his his foot's not healed. You know, his foot there was it, there's enough healing that he's now out of the boot and can start going through you know more physically exerting uh, activity. What that results in in return to to play, not quite sure yet. We don't have a hard program, but. As I said before, and then, you know, Scott and I laughed about it on the plane last night. Whatever we determine the, the timeline is, I'm guessing it's going to be quicker than that. Yeah, that's weird. I saw him on Tiger Mountain with a weighted vest and, and heavy weighted bats. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's itching to, itching to come back. Hey, you were up in the air conditioning, not in the heat and humidity. Do you, are you a little bit like the rest of us? Do you scoreboard watch? Do you find yourself watching the game and flipping over to, to whatever site you can to see what else is going on in baseball? Oh, now you do. And, you know, and the, and whoever tells you when you get, you don't in May, you don't in June, you know, once you get into the dog days and, and it's on, you do. And, you know, we now see the, the finish line is, is there. You see where it is. You see where you stand and, and nobody's not watching. And, you know, for the players, they're focused on the game on the field and they're going to turn around and look from time to time or certainly pick up the phone when they get into the clubhouse, uh, you know, minimally, everybody's watching highlights or, or game day feeds on, on bus rides. So it's, we're just at that time of year, and it's 
this is the fun of being in a playoff race. It's the same for the players and the staff it is, as it is for the fans. It, it's fun. You know, it's, a, it's exciting. You see what's happening around you. And, you know, the, the key is to not let it affect what you're doing on the field. But, you know, it's, this is the time of year that you want to be in a position like we're in and you want to watch the scoreboard. Must have been kind of fun getting to cheer for Seawalt at the end of the game the other day too, right? I mean, at least at least you're already rooting for the guy, and then you get a chance to watch him help you out. That's kind of a a nice situation. Hey, I, I want to ask you about this is sort of an odd one, but being hit by pitches, and you guys lead the major leagues in being hit by pitches last year. Right now, you're at ninety for the season. That's more than all of last year, where I think the number was eighty nine, which was fourth or fifth in baseball. Is that a concern? Is it a badge that you wear proudly? How do you look at that? You know, it's a, it's I, in a weird way, it's a skill, you know, and we have a couple of players for whom it's a skill. And, and that, that sounds weird. No hitter goes up there thinking, boy, I'm going to get hit by this one. <laughs> There's a, but, you know, between Ty France and Jose Caballero, especially, it is a skill for them. They, you know, they both crowd the plate. They both don't give up ground. They have a history of being hit by pitches. And, and I don't think that, that it's – they're not being hit by pitches because they're being headhunted. They're being hit by pitches because that's a skill of theirs. And, and it contributes to their own base. It contributes to, to moving the, the lineup. And, you know, as and I, I, I asked Ty this, you know, it, it might have been last year he got hit uh, on the, the – there was three or four straight nights that he got hit on his arm guard. And I said, I said, what does that feel like when you get hit on the arm guard? He said, Oh, it hurts. <laughs> There's a, it's, it's unpleasant. And, you know, I, it, they're not up there trying to get hit and, you know, but we do tend to get hit more than most. We're, I, it's part of our personality, you know, and, and especially the, the personality of this team of the 2023 Mariners where, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a grinder team. It's a depth team. They get under your skin and, 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 and when that's happening and you're in the box and you're crowding it, it feels emotional when cabbie gets plunked, but in the reality, and for the most part, I will say there's, there are times where this may not be true. The reality is it's always been a part of their skill set and it's just going to happen over the course of time. His skill set is almost like a hockey player. He's like, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of got some of that irritant hockey player in him, doesn't he? You know, it's funny, and I and I, you may or may not remember this when in the in the early spring when the Kraken were were making their good run and they went toward the the postseason. Our teams are not too dissimilar. It's the it's it's deep. You know, the fourth line of of our team right now. You're seeing that depth pay off, and and you know, in baseball, it is such a 26 man game. So much of the roster needs to contribute, just like in hockey. And you know, and Cabby is that guy. He's you know, he's the grinder. He's the he's not afraid. He'll go battle the giant, and he doesn't care who you are. And and I think that's a that it's a personality trait. We hope he always keeps. Mm. Jerry, thank you. Uh, really fun baseball here over the course of the last uh, few months and especially over the last couple of weeks. We appreciate it. We'll do it again next Thursday in the middle of the homestand. All right, guys. Look forward to it. All right, there you go. There's Jerry DePoto joins us every Thursday at 830. We'll come right back. A couple of things that I think we both want to react to in there, including, you know, well, second week in a row, my conspiracy theory has kind of popped up and, and been confirmed a little bit. How serious is it? We'll discuss next on Brock and Salt. Homemade tinfoil hats.